most of your professional colleagues, they may just be trying to survive. They'll marvel when over more than a dozen years, your business somehow manages to grow and keep growing by more than 10,000%. They'll write it all off as luck. Some may even try to explain it away in other ways that are less kind or generous than that. Because a big part of what causes the business of a professional services firm to grow, it just isn't accounted for in GAP. While Arjun was away, Team Arjun came to play. All the cat's out of the bag now, folks. But we're still here bringing you our favorite and most importantly, actionable insights to Arjun's newest book, Profit First for Lawyers. We're going to help you accelerate your law firm's growth so that you can experience more profit in every aspect of your life. We're also going to be providing some behind-the-scenes footage at what it's really like to work with Arjun Robbins. So, put your BS aside for the next few minutes and put yourself, your family, your firm, and your profit first. Welcome back to another episode of the Profit First for Lawyers podcast. I'm your host, Carly, and today we have a special guest in studio. This is one of the members who work with How to Manage, and also one of probably my favorite superhero women in the planet. This is lawyer Marie Drake from the Drake Law Firm. Marie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction. I appreciate it. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Who are you? What does your firm do? Sure. My name's Marie Drake, and I own the Drake Law Firm in Golden, Colorado, and we specialize in no bullshit divorces. Here, here. I love your magic statement so much. I don't know if I've ever told you before. It's probably one of my favorite of all the magic statements. Uh, I feel it is really representative of who you are as a person. Thank you. <laughs> So what made you want to become a lawyer, Marie? Well, I'll be very frank. I was a kid on food stamps and we were always struggling with money in my family. And so I just made a decision early, I think in grade school, if I recall, to be either a doctor or a lawyer. I just wanted out of this struggle. So I don't have any huge altruistic uh, reason for becoming a lawyer. I just didn't want to be on food stamps. So I think it was very money motivated, if I'm honest. Hey, that's totally okay. But I do think you've owned your law firm for quite a while now, right? And you do family law, correct? Yes, we are primarily family lawyers. Yeah, so something must have drawn you to that particular practice area. What was it? Well, I think I had a natural ability to understand people in crisis, and I had sort of a natural, not always healthy, gravitational pull towards other people's trauma. In addition, my parents divorced each other over the Vietnam War, remarried each other as the war was winding down, and re-divorced each other, and this was all over Southeast Asia and Colorado. So I also just felt like I had some training, frankly, to handle family law, starting when I was very young. So the other part is that when I started practicing law, I was older than a lot of uh, the people starting out because I'd been a paralegal in New York City for seven years. 
And then I had a period of time in my hometown of Crested Butte, Colorado, just doing odds and ends. And then I finally started practicing law in 1999. So I was ready to do it. But at some of the law firms I worked at, at some of the law firms that were on the other side of these cases, I saw people really dragging them out. It didn't benefit the clients. It frankly, I don't think it benefited the lawyers except financially. But it, I knew it wasn't benefiting the kids to have these things drag on or to have conflict sort of cooked up, if you will. And so I really wanted to have a law firm that did things differently. And I feel like we do things differently. I really do. Now, you've been with How to Manage a Small Law Firm for a while. What kind of drew you to them? How did you find us? Well, I found you because I had gone to Jerry Spence's Trial Lawyers College up in Wyoming for three weeks. And I was surrounded by some really interesting high-powered trial attorneys. And I kept in touch with them and then got on the board, the alumni board. And one of the members called me up and said, hey, I'm in town um, having dinner. Do you want to join me? So I drove 20 miles north to Boulder and had dinner with her. And I said to her, you know, I'm so tired of just the up and down. And she said... I have found so much peace of mind through this other organization. My sister was there too, and she told us about how to manage, and we just listened to her for a couple of hours. And the next day, we called how to manage, my sister and I. My sister has a law firm as well. And the salesman on the other end said, hey, there's this thing called a live quarterly meeting. It starts on Friday. Can you get to Vegas by Friday? And this is Monday. And I said, yeah, that sounds like a tough, he's like, well, the next one's January. So, you know, figure it, you know, you can figure it out. And so we hung up and I was like, I got I just have a hunch about this. My intuition's never wrong. So we called on Tuesday to confirm that we were coming for discovery day. We bought our plane tickets on Wednesday. We flew on Thursday and we went to discovery day on Friday and signed up. <laughs> so it was just boom, boom, boom. Oh my gosh. I hadn't known that, but to be honest, that sounds, am I allowed to say that sounds an awful lot like you having never met you in person before this day, right? But having read an awful lot about you, I feel like that just sounded like a you thing, right? Here's this opportunity. Do you want it or not? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll figure out a way. <laughs> and I had watched her as a, you know, I call him like a sad solo, just a hang dog Eeyore solo. And I didn't want to become a sad solo and she had like turned things around. She was a lot happier, a lot bubblier. I mean, she was making money. She felt good. So watching this and having known her before she joined how to manage, I'd already kind of seen the before and after photos. So I was interested and attracted to that and wanted that for myself. Yeah. And one of the cool things that I have really enjoyed, because we end up using a lot of your materials from the live quarterly meetings and so on and so forth in the marketing or in various things. And I think it's because you are so expressive. I don't perceive you as somebody who shies away from vulnerability, right? And it's that truth that vibrates on a different level that people can just feel. But you've had the opportunity to interact quite a bit with Arjun directly. Did you have any preconceived notions about what it would be like 
to work directly with our John Robbins. And and as a follow-up to that, what has it actually been like? What's been your experience? I didn't have any preconceived notions because I didn't really watch any of his ads. I didn't know much about him. My thing was I watched my friend Maureen and I watched her change and that was the advertising for me. And then I had a, a sales call. That was it. And then I showed up at Discovery Day and that was my first sort of taste of our John was he came into the room and wrapped things up in a little bow, but it was also a bow that was very thought provoking. And that was, what do you really want? Yeah, that question just kept coming up all through Discovery Day. What do you really want? And I don't think I had thought about that maybe really ever, you know, except for kind of pie in the sky, um, you know, I'd like to win the Mega Millions lottery. Well, I don't know that that's really a what do you really want because it's not about life or lifestyle or relationships and friendships and family and all of the things that question really means. You know, what do you want this to look like? So can I ask you kind of a vulnerable question then? What is one of the most profitable pieces of advice that Arjun has given you or that you've learned? Well, it has to do with profit first, of course. And the other thing that I just finished was a mastermind with our John. And we just had nine people and three and a half days with our John in Miami. And I just finished up and flew home a few days ago. And so what's the most profitable piece of advice? Well, it was also in PPM and it was also at Miraval. It's been in the, it's been on the momentum calls, but it is just actually doing profit first. So I've had those profit first accounts for a couple of years because I read the first profit first book some time ago. So I established the accounts in a different bank that wasn't connected to any of my law firm accounts or personal accounts. And then I worked with my first CEO on putting the money aside and then every quarter taking it and doing something fun. So that was a real challenge because I just wanted to either pay debt or use it for the firm. And I did get in the habit of that, but I wasn't saving money. So I still didn't really have reserves for the law firm. And over time I had to learn the hard way that the, the profit first isn't just having the accounts or even having a little money in accounts. Profit first, the magic of it for me, and this is my profitable tip of the day, is the magic is the consistency. Every time money comes in, that profit first percentage goes into those accounts. You know, one is for taxes and one is the main account. And so uh, just to be perfectly transparent, I recently started doing that. And that was a big result of the mastermind and of just understanding that consistency is the key and I've never been consistent with it. So there's no time like the present and here I am, but it's good. And it's, it's the firm is so different than it was when I started HTM. Like it's just night and day. I really enjoy that. I think that's one of my favorite tidbits from having worked at HTM for a while is, um, Oscar mentioned it in his interview with me uh, a while back. We'll link that in our show notes, but where he said, you know, if it's not a win-win, if we don't both win, then Arjun wants no part of it, right? If it's not going to be 
profitable or valuable or bring additional success to the lives of the people who are signed up, then we're not going to do it, even if it brings how to manage some money on its own. Our John is always, and this has helped me with my own employees, our John's like, great, you have an idea, let's figure out how it can make money for both of us. And so with employees, it's like, great, you want to practice in this other area, I'll entertain it, but you've got to give me a plan on how it's going to make money for both of us. Because otherwise, this is just something you're intellectually interested in. And this isn't a nonprofit. This is actually a for-profit law firm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I appreciate, for example, people who have the time and inclination to do a lot of pro bono. And I used to do a ton of pro bono. And then I joined the 12-step program, Codependence Anonymous. And I now have my brown belt and I don't do any more pro bono. I've really done a ton in my lifetime over the course of this career and I'm grateful. But one of the profit first things for me and one of the um, biggest HTM lessons for me is to let go of my codependency and that need to rescue and to really look a little deeper and go, what's behind this? And why is this victim or this person who believes he or she's a victim or they're a victim, why are they vibrating at my frequency? Because it isn't about them. It's about me. It's an energetic thing. And I'm either going to change it or I'm going to keep giving away money. So I've stopped giving away money. That is such a hard thing to do. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, but I've, I've had my own struggles with boundaries and wanting to rescue people. What was the game changer for you? What helped you decide to take that new step on a new path? Well, it's frankly, it's a day at a time. So sometimes it's two steps forward and then I fall back and I don't even realize I'm starting to fall into rescuer mode. So I have to stay vigilant about it. And sometimes I have to hear a hard truth from someone who loves me that, hey, what is it? Why are you rescuing this person? And, you know, I do think there's a difference between doing that and just being like a caring friend or relative. But I tend to seem to go a step further. And I think for me, just based on the analysis that I've done with people who are smarter about this than I am is that there's a level of arrogance in me thinking I know best for someone oh. and I know. And so I have to remember like, you know, do I really know best? This is a functioning adult who is making their own choices and what kind of arrogance in me thinks that I should either prevent the choice or that I have a better choice for it. Now, that's different from laying out a bunch of strategies in a complex high asset family law case. And in those cases, that it's really important that the client has skin in the game and makes their own decisions versus me saying, here's what you should do. And I do have a lot of people come in where someone's been like financially controlling and they've been on a super tight leash for a hundred years and now all of a sudden they're going to be divorced and out in the world. But I have to tell them, look, you're not a victim of this. You made choices to stay in the marriage. As soon as you take a hundred percent responsibility for your side of it 
And I'm not talking about people who had the shit beat out of them or something, but with a lot of sort of the financially abusive stuff I see, if they take 100% responsibility for their side of the street and their choice to stay in the marriage and their choice not to work, their choice not to get an education and their choice to be submissive about money, the freedom starts there, just like it did for me. And I share how it started for me. You know, it was easy to tell myself I was a victim for a lot of my life, but it wasn't really the truth. Because as soon as I had agency to start making my own decisions and got my first job at 12, I could have started putting some money away you know what I mean? I could have made some different choices, but I was a little bit spendy in seventh grade, you know? Anyway, I have learned something since then, though, and a big part of it is this idea of paying myself first rather than being codependent, including about money. It sounds like Arjun made you read The Power of Ted, too, or or encouraged it, I should say. It's, it's on our required reading when we when we get started. And it's really helped in my family law cases. And I recommend it. And sometimes I send people that book. But I read that when I first heard noise about it after joining HTM four years ago. And I listened to it again. And then it was assigned to us in PPM. And mm -hmm. so we went through it again in more depth with, you know, it, it was just, it was just very helpful. It still is. And I always remember that when I insert myself into a situation as a rescuer, it's inevitable that quote unquote victim will then see me as a perpetrator eventually, and then I'll feel like a victim. And then it's just this cycle that, I mean, frankly, in my family is generations deep. So it's exciting to be breaking that, you know, in my lifetime, if you will. Yeah, good for you, Marie. Have you noticed a difference in your quality of the relationship with you had with your clients since adjusting this particular mindset? I mean, I know obviously you're still working on it. It's one step at a time, but but even still, have you noticed a difference? I have noticed a difference. So for example, for the last three years, I've had three and a half years now, I've had a no asshole policy in my fee agreement and it's called that. And I pointed out to the clients in the first meeting. And I also tell them they should read the book that it's based on, which is the no asshole rule by a Stanford professor. And I can't think of his name right now. That's a wonderful first sort of boundary around this. And then the other thing that I do is I have the, the conversation with the client where we, I take the attorney and counselor at law, I take that counselor at law part seriously. And so we do sit down and sometimes I do say, look, I'm not going to charge for this, but I'm going to tell you about my experience because I think it might resonate with you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But here's what's, what's happened for me financially and even in relationships. And here's what could happen to you if you just work on it a little bit. You know, I try to be logical with them. And I, I do understand that splitting up a family is stressful and it's hard on everybody, but it's also, if it's going to happen and decisions have been made, then you have to reach some point of acceptance and you have to make a decision about taking responsibility for your part of whatever it is, whatever made it fall apart, whatever patterns you've been in, whatever 
is happening with the children. You have to just go ahead and grow the fuck up. <laughs> I think I'm going to put that one on my wall. Just <laughs> and, and I think there's that cyclical nature of when you get stuck in that victim mindset, you go round and round and round. I, I really like the perspective of 100% personal responsibility as a pattern disrupt, right? You know, part of the power of TED that I really, really enjoy is when you think of, if you stop thinking about yourself, even when your circumstances are way beyond your control and somebody has victimized you, but if you don't think of yourself as a victim, if you think of yourself instead as a creator, then it's that mindset shift where bad stuff still happens. You know, uh, there's really nothing you can do to prevent bad things from happening. Um, if somebody wants to, kind of get in the way of your agency on some things, you know, th that's not your fault by any means, but it's the, it's the empowerment dynamic that I really enjoy about that, where it's, you know, I can stay stuck in this mindset of the world happens to me, or I can decide that I, well, I don't want to say that I happen to the world, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Where, where you kind of take your power back. And what I really enjoy about the story that you're telling right now, Marie, though, is that you had mentioned that you had your own kind of paradigm shift where you stopped thinking of yourself as a victim. And I love that as you kind of become empowered, then you have the tools to help empower others and to provide an even better service to your clients. I think that says a lot about you as a lawyer. You said something really early on that had kind of a, an emotional impact for me um, because it was something that Arjun said to me really early on that I also was like, when's the last time I thought about this, right? And it was, what do you want? Like, what do you want out of your life? And I, I just think that's such a beautiful thought. I don't know many people who ask themselves that, at least not in a serious manner. You know, that's not just, well, I want to win the lottery. I want to quit my job and work for the circus. <laughs> to... yeah. And it's not just the story either. That was one of the things I learned at the mastermind was I do know how to tell a good story and I have good stories, but what's underneath the story, you know, and all at some point, we all have to stare into the abyss and try to figure out like what meaning is out there and how can I have meaning in my life and make some impact because it's not going to be watching Netflix and eating bonbons until I'm 400 pounds. Like there's other ways to have an impact. And that's what I hope is part of the Drake law firm, frankly, is that we do things differently. We're not afraid to just call it like we call it. And we also always have to tell people like, you know, our side of whatever the case is only controls so much, but let's, meet these challenges with integrity and with some speed. We're pretty nimble about emergencies that arise. And let's just do the best we can from our side. And we can absolutely analyze what's going on, on the other side. We always do. But we don't have to analyze it to death. And we can also recognize what we control is our reaction to the other side. I knew that you were coming on. I was so excited to talk to you, Marie. And I found a clip from Arjun in the studio, and I wanted to get your perspective on it. And I know I didn't have a chance to show this to you before this interview started, and so I'm hoping you will let me show it to you. Now, I'd love to get your thoughts on Arjun's definition of success when it comes to your business. Okay. Okay. Let's roll the clip.
Remember, your law firm is supposed to work for you. It is supposed to serve you personally, professionally, and financially. Not just financially. Your business is supposed to work for you. For years, I used to conduct VIP days from my boat. It's called the office. We would take out three law firm owners at a time, one per quarter, and the owners of each of the three different law firms would usually bring a plus one. They would travel from across the country to have this unique business growth experience. At one time, these became so popular that groups of highly entrepreneurial law firm owners got together and formed boat groups. And for several years, we had standing appointments once per quarter with the same groups of amazingly fast-growing law firm owners. It was fun and quite financially profitable, enough to pay for the boat and all of its related operating costs with plenty left over to buy the dock. It was a wonderful time of my life and a really fun experience in my career. Captain Glenn would take care of all the details and we'd go out on the office. Get it? Out on the office? For an entrepreneurially mind-expanding day. We'd go snorkeling and scuba diving and fishing or sometimes just exploring. And when it got rained out, we would scramble and just find something else to do. Once we took a sprinter van in the pouring down rain to an art museum to experience a fully immersive room that was created where you would just sit there and feel like you were in Monet's turn-of-the-century Paris. Some of the greatest inspirations and most out-of-the-box ideas that still drive the growth of my own firm, how to manage a small law firm, even past $30 million as I write this, those ideas came from those boat days. And the law firms that participated in those boat days have just exploded in all kinds of fun and exciting ways. But my bankers and my CPA, they hated it when I took the whole day to take these small groups of entrepreneurs out on the office. Because the financial profit from those boat days, they paled in comparison to what we earned every time I stepped onto a stage or hosted a webinar to invest a day in the office with my leadership team. But recall my definition of a successful business. To be worthy of being called a successful business in my book, your law firm and my business too, it must serve you financially, it must serve you personally, and it must also serve you professionally. Two out of the three may be enough to win in a game of paper, rock, scissors, but neither your business, your personal life, or your career is a game. So two out of three isn't good enough. It's certainly not enough to sustain the kind of growth we've had over so many years. The secret to building the sort of fast growth and high profits and fun to run law firms that How to Manage a Small Law Firm is now famous for building is to build a business that gives you all three of these. So no, those boat days, they didn't maximize the financial profits for me or my business, but they produced professional and personal profits for me like you'd have to experience yourself to believe. Presumably, those boat days produced enough profits for all those entrepreneurs too, who came back again and again and again for years until I eventually decided to discontinue the program because it turns out that going out on a boat four days in a row isn't as much fun as you might think. 
So let me tell you something that your banker, your CPA, and none of those conventionally unhappy law firm owners who you'll meet at any bar function won't tell you. There's just no way for Gap to account for the profits that come from hearing the ripples of the water making way for the bows of your boat as your captain idles you all out of the channel with the gentle bay breeze blowing in the morning. Nor is Gap set up to account for the value of the energy you get as a creative being as you listen to the nervous and excited chatter of conversations all around you between other highly successful entrepreneurs who are each already beginning to feel their mindsets shift as the possibilities of a day of exponential growth begin to unfold before all of you. Your banker wants to be sure your law firm can honor the terms of its loan and clear its line of credit for 30 days each year as a way to test the financial viability of the business. Your certified public accountant wants to correctly and accurately account for what has already happened in the past. Most of your professional colleagues, they may just be trying to survive. They'll marvel when over more than a dozen years, your business somehow manages to grow and keep growing by more than 10,000%. They'll write it all off as luck. Some may even try to explain it away in other ways that are less kind or generous than that. Because a big part of what causes the business of a professional services firm to grow, it just isn't accounted for in gap. It's invisible and therefore deemed irrelevant by those who can't hear the music. And so they say we are crazy, those of us who are dancing. So look, it can be a lonely place for the owner of a highly successful professional services firm because it requires the courage and strength of conviction to turn your back on conventional wisdom. Yeah, I saw this one. It just made me think of you. I really wanted to see first reaction, Marie. First reaction is it makes me a little verklempt, meaning I just, uh, I think... It's such a privilege to get to practice law the way I do. And I get to practice law the way I do because I made a choice to become my own law firm owner. And so I get to do this in a different way. And I get to do it authentically and, you know, help my clients in a way that I hope is intangible. And I hope that gives more value than what kind of money comes in because I love seeing people when they do experience that freedom of, oh my God, I've been making these choices and now I'm going to make different choices and the, there's, the light goes off. And it doesn't always happen. It might happen later. Or they might remember something and sometimes it just doesn't happen. But when it does, it's so fulfilling because it's like, oh, I get to do this differently. And I always tell people, and it's going to make me verklempt, but at the end of both of my parents' lives, um, and my mom died when I was 24, so 1987, you know, the love of her life was my dad, and they had been divorced for years, and he was married to someone else, by the way. There were a lot of women at his funeral. It was a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> but... but <laughs> 
anyway, the Colonel was a player. It just was what it was. But at the end of her life, like he showed up, like you can't believe he showed up and it showed us kids like, oh my God, they really loved each other. And at the end of his life, he kept saying, your mother was the love of my life. Your mother was the love of my life. I don't think I ever should have let her go. Don't tell Carolyn. Carolyn was his current wife. But here's the lesson. The lesson was, in the end, the only fucking thing that matters is love. At some point, and I say this to all of my divorce clients, at some point, I'm sorry, but you better remember your wedding day and looking into the eyes of your wife or your husband and promising to love them forever. So what if you're not going to be married? You promised in front of everybody to love them forever. Remember the basis of the relationship. And if you can keep that in mind, you can give this person some grace to go through what they need to go through, but you don't have to add to the shit show. You can actually help the shit show disintegrate. You know, you can actually help something else happen and figure out how can we be friends? How can we show the kids we can be friends? What was coming up for me a little bit when you were saying that too was I think that that, that statement works across all all fields, right? At the end of the day, all you have is love. And and what I really think about is that, you know, Arjun said, they think we are crazy because they can't hear the music. And so they think we're crazy, those of us who are dancing. And I think that happens with entrepreneurs who allow the passion that they have for their profession to lead them ethically and responsibly, right? In their business. It's that your firm, your business must serve you financially and professionally and personally. And I think that's that personal thing, right? How do I love what I do and love my clients and love what I'm giving back to the world? And it sounds like that's something that you kind of cracked the code on for your clients. What I really want to know is you've obviously come a really long way as a human. Boy, I, I hope we all have, right? But but you've come a long way as a human, but definitely a long way as a lawyer too. What is something that you would tell a struggling law firm today or someone who's just starting out, who's just passed the bar and is looking to get started? I think what I would tell someone is try the kind of law you're interested in. Try to get a job in that area and see if you really like it or you just like the idea of it. See if you like the day-to-day and see if it's something that that really is what you think your destiny is. And just remember, you can always change your mind. I mean, I have done a number of different things. And uh, the, mo the thing that I've done the most is family law. But when I was a paralegal for seven years in New York City, I never did family law. I tried a lot of different things. I'm glad that I did because I feel like that led me to what I do today. And the thing is, is that I don't think anyone cares if you try some different areas of law. I would encourage it and see what you land on and what resonates. That's what I would tell a young lawyer. So, Thank you so, so much for bringing this. If I was going to take the entire interview and bring together kind of three great truths, I would say, number one, um, you said it more eloquently than I will, but grow up, 
um, kind of get through the BS, right? Um, take back your power, I think, is what I would distill the second great lesson from this interview as, right? Is change your mindset, grow out of the victim mindset, grab your power and decide and figure out and then decide, right? What do you want and what can you do to go and get it? Um, and what is it worth to you, right? That that 30,000 uh, feet up, that view, what is it worth to you to have the life that you want to have on your deathbed? Right. And I always tell people it's the, the old thing about Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect, the American architect, you know, 34, 35% of what he ever did in his entire lifetime was between the ages of like 83 and 92. So it's never too late. It's never too late. And, you know, I just tell people you can't, you can't give up. Like that's a weird voice in your head from something old that you can ignore. I've had to ignore it. It's not real. You just have to keep focusing on you know, what do I want? Oh, Marie, this was such a fun interview for me today. I really have found it mind expanding in a number of ways. It's been such a lovely conversation for me to have. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on and do this with me today. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here and thanks for inviting me. And hey, folks, that's what we've got for you today. I hope that this has been as valuable to you as it has been for me. Make sure that you stay tuned next time as we bring you some more actionable insights, and we will see you there. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Profit First for Lawyers. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, tell a friend. And buy your copy of the book at ProfitFirstForLawyers.com. Your future self will thank you for it, and we will see you next time.